0: This is the Child Welfare Information Gateway Podcast, a place for those who care about strengthening families and protecting children. You'll hear about the innovations, emerging trends, and success stories across child welfare, direct from those striving to make a difference. This is your place for new ideas and information to support your work to improve the lives of children, youth, and families.
1: If there is any overarching theme to the more than 20 hours of the Child Welfare Information Gateway podcast series, its collaboration, partnership, and information sharing is not only beneficial to improving outcomes for children and families, it's vital. And that's the case for practitioners working together, working with community groups, working with families, working across agencies, you name it. And that's the case, pun intended, for courts too. Hi, everyone. Tom Oates from Child Welfare Information Gateway here. Now, we've been spending a great deal of time featuring American Indian and Alaska Native tribal courts. We've been talking with awardees of the Children's Bureau's Tribal Court Improvement Program grants. So these are uh, tribal courts who are using the grants to enhance or expand their ability to hear child welfare cases or improve collaboration with tribal or state counterparts. Now, today, we are continuing our series on tribal courts and child welfare. Now, the episode we just launched last month showcased how tribal courts and tribal child welfare are working to build better relationships with their state counterparts. Now, if you haven't listened to that one, just head over to the Children's Bureau's webpage at acf.hhs.gov cb and search podcast. Now you don't need to listen to that one to listen to this one, but uh, just for that one, we really focused on developing better personal relationships and an understanding between staff. And many of the barriers were actually personal and they centered around mistrust that needed to be addressed. But what if your biggest challenge doesn't involve people but legal or process issues. It's some of the challenges we're gonna hear about along with what two different tribes are doing to mitigate the issues and stay involved or improve their involvement with tribal families engaged in the child welfare system and juvenile and family courts. The Ponca tribe is located across the Midwest with most of their territory within the state of Nebraska. So most of their interaction with state child welfare involves working with Nebraska's child welfare system. Stephanie Papachil is the Ponca Tribe Social Services Director. Now, you'll hear how Stephanie and her team have established some structured communication channels with their counterparts from Nebraska's child welfare system and their family court. However, a big challenge, outside of relationships, stems from geography. The Ponca is one of four tribes in Nebraska, but as we mentioned, the Ponca territory is across the Midwest. It spans three states and multiple counties. Now, most of the tribal areas are in the state of Nebraska, but here's the real twist. The Ponca tribe has no reservation, and that hangs over Stephanie's social services team when creating an effective relationship with Nebraska's child welfare services and the courts to ensure consistency of services for the tribal families they serve.
2: So that was one of our, our largest concerns was just not having a reservation and the other three tribes that are in Nebraska do have a reservation. So having the that reservation boundary allows easier contracts and agreements to be arranged with the state. And so there those other state those other tribes, they're boundaries for investigating and working child abuse and neglect cases are are pretty clear. So this with the Ponca tribe and just having twelve counties and those aren't contiguous counties, those are counties that are spread out throughout the eastern part of and northern part of Nebraska. So that's one of our largest concerns and just trying to figure out if there was going to be a, an agreement, what that would look like, how not having a clear boundary per se would allow the Ponca tribe to exercise the jurisdiction over Ponca families involved in the child welfare system. Um, So we started having those conversations probably within the last 10 years. Um, and then there's been some turnover at the state of Nebraska and there's been some turnover at the Ponca tribe in my position. And so those those conversations have kind of stalled a little bit, um, but there still is um, willingness to move forward with those, those contracts and those discussions. It's just determining if the Ponca tribe would have a child welfare agreement, what that would look like and when the Ponca tribe would would come into that investigative process.
1: What have been the big sticking points then through that kind of, and it sounds really, really nebulous, unfortunately, uh, both in a, in a geographic sense and in a jurisdiction and, and legal sense, what have been the biggest sticking points that you found in, in trying to establish a working relationship?
2: I think one of the largest ones was is just trying to um, figure out how we would identify and accept those cases that involve Ponca families, we wouldn't want to delay a process at all, but trying to figure out how quickly we could get um, the, a Ponca family identified so that if the case would, would then be taken over by the Ponca tribe in Nebraska, then just being able to do that in a smooth fashion so that there's minimal impact. Uh, the... One of the other biggest takeaways is even though we don't have this contract or agreement with the state of Nebraska, the Ponca tribe is allowed to participate in any of their child welfare trainings that they offer for free. Um, If the, when a new worker comes on board for the state of Nebraska, that person goes through a about a six-month training process. It's not completely all that period of time, but it's a week here, a couple days there, another week here. And so they've offered us that accessibility as well. So the Ponca tribe case managers get that same case management training that those child protective workers are getting in the state. And so... That has been helpful that if this agreement or contract ever comes about, then the workers at the Ponca Tribe know what the lingo is. They know what that access is. They're going to go through those same processes that the state would go through so that there's some... Continuity and consistency that's there.
1: There's also a level of understanding then that that the the Ponca tribe caseworkers have for kind of what happens on the other side of the fence. What happens when when a family is involved um, with the state? Knowing that, what have you uh, what have your caseworkers then been able to do to kind of. You know, make their presence known, or to maintain involvement in those relations with the state. You know, and, and kind of ensuring that that communication and and that process continues to happen when when maybe a family is working with the state.
2: It's been incredibly helpful for us um, when a family, if a family contacts us first, rather than a state worker. If a family contacts us first. And they're talking about what they're experiencing with the state. Then, the workers that have gone through that training understand where that family is, and when, and by what words they're using. Then, since that that Ponca tribe worker's already gone through the training, then they have an idea of, oh, that's where you are, and then. Just being able to reach out to that state worker and have that understanding of this is the next step and this is a possibility. And so it helps when the case is closed and the state's not involved any longer, then the workers, the Ponca tribe workers have such a huge understanding of what resources and services the families already access and then what services are still out there. So they have an idea by working closely with the state worker. They have an idea of, well, this is the therapist that the family's already gone to for three years, or this is a therapist that they had that didn't work out quite the way that we wanted them to. And so now they switch to this other one. So it's a, it's a kind of a two-way street where the Ponca tribe worker really gets right in there and understands the needs and challenges of the family, but then also is able to identify future community resources and services that are available to that family and any other family.
1: Yeah, having that full understanding of what the family requires, what the family's already gone through, and their experiences there has to be incredibly valuable. So is there a structure to that relationship between the Ponca caseworkers and and the state caseworkers? Is there, you know, a a communication schedule or a reporting schedule back and forth? How does that relationship work?
2: I have... Uh, really explained to the Ponca tribe workers that they really need to be reaching out to the state workers. And, and while some may think that it's a state responsibility, again, it, it is a two-way street and the Ponca tribe needs to take on that responsibility as well in reaching out. Um, the expectation is is that family team meetings, home visits, any staffing, court hearings, all of those specific individual meetings that involve the family, the Ponca tribe needs to be a part of. And so for the most part, we are able to attend those in person. Um, But there is sometimes where we have things that end up getting double booked or something like that. We have participated over the phone, but I would say 95% of the time we're doing those meetings face-to-face. And we recently, within the last month probably, have implemented that every Monday, the Ponca tribe worker will email the state worker that's assigned to the individual cases and ask if there is anything new that's happening with the case if there's anything coming up for the week um, just to keep those lines of communication open and I'm included on those emails and we have been getting a really good response back from those workers just like anything else everyone's busy so trying to pick up the phone or calling at the right time or calling in the middle of a court hearing when someone can't answer and just the volume of calls that everyone gets, we've found that this email process is a lot smoother. Our response rates uh, uh, have greatly increased over phone call messages. That's something then that's in writing and it can go into the file. We also have Implemented um, case staffings with the state of Nebraska, and that is on the first Friday and last Friday of each month. And the case manager just needs to attend one of those days, whichever date works better for them. Um, but we have meetings set on the first Friday and the last Friday, and the case managers for the state then call in and myself and the Ponca tribe ICWA specialist and then the state ICWA specialist are all on the phone and we are just having a quick conversation. It's five to 10 minutes at the most. Just what has happened? Is there anything that the state is needing from the tribe? It's a way for the tribe to talk about any new program to talk about any recurring program um where we've used we'll use november and december to talk about if there's any ponca member holiday gatherings and being able to say hey reminder could you let the foster family know that on whatever day there's going to be a christmas dinner so that then the kids could go and the foster parent could go just to meet some, some additional people. So we've implemented that as well. And that has had a really good response.
1: What have you seen then from the outcomes of all this from, from, from your staff? Uh, I'm not sure if you've had any reaction from, from the state and from the families. How has this, this impacted this, I guess, new format or this change in, in relations? How is this, uh, what, are the, what are the outcomes that you're seeing?
2: From my point of view, it really seems to have opened up that communication barrier. We're getting a lot more things on our calendar more quickly. We are getting um, higher response rates to court hearings and family team meetings. And it seems like before that was kind of us to keep track of those dates. But now, we have those dates coming in from so many avenues that that it just is easier. And the, the Ponca tribe case manager and the state case manager seem to have a lot better relationship because they're communicating more often. And it's not just I've seen you and then in six months, I'll see you at the next court date. It's kind of it's a recognition and it's it's really helped plan for the families, and I would hope, looking in the future, that those would, that these activities would um, cross your fingers, close cases faster, because there would be that, that collaboration and, and working together. Obviously, there's no way to say that right now, but that would be my hope, And from what I've heard from the workers is that at the beginning, it was, I don't have time to call in once a month on a Friday, or I don't have time to answer an email every Monday. But from what I'm hearing is that it's really just been... It doesn't take long. It doesn't take any extra time. It maybe even takes less time than playing phone tags so often. It's just, it's been very helpful to to have that, communi- that level
1: of communication. So Stephanie and the Ponca Tribe are working to leverage communication to ensure services and cultural connections are maintained for tribal families. Yeah, sometimes communication can be a barrier in itself. but. The Mashpee Wampanoag tribe, they've been working on something a little different. They have been working with the state of Massachusetts to develop a compact, a a legal document to enable the tribal court and ICWA departments to be involved within state ICWA cases. For those not familiar, a a child welfare compact is a government-to-government agreement, in this case between a state and a tribe or a tribal organization. They establish a framework for tribes to provide child welfare services and recognize the tribe's inherent sovereign authority to serve their citizens. Compacts help define the services to be carried out by tribes and tribal organizations in a defined jurisdiction or service area. Now, key aspects that the Mashpee Wampanoag tribe and Massachusetts have gone back and forth on are trying to establish a clear understanding of ICWA, and how that federal law establishes tribal involvement and connections in child welfare cases that are within the state court. Vivian Boussier is the tribal court administrator, and she's also the chair of the tribal elders judiciary committee. Now she shared with us some of the steps involved up to this moment, in fact, in working toward finalizing this compact. It is sensitive and it is a challenging subject with updates as you can hear that happened right up to the moment we recorded our interview.
3: We started our compact with the state many years ago and uh, they never did anything with it. Well, we had some internal problems. They were straightened away. We developed the compact internally. We sent it to the state and the state sat on it for years, you know, like we didn't matter. So we had legal push it. Plus this grant helped us to get legal to push it. And we finally got a response from the state and the state met with us this past this last year of the grant and actually sat down with us probably the past year and a half of, of the TCIP grant. Actually came and met with us every two weeks to go over that compact, to um, talk about what the tribe was looking for and what how much the state was willing to give. We learned a lot about the state and the state wasn't re- very respectful of the ICWA law and thought they did a better job and couldn't understand um, why the feds had said, this had to be done, this had to be done, this had to be done. So we did, there was a lot of headbutting initially with the state um, because they didn't understand. I don't think the state truly understood the ICWA laws themselves. You know, they were under state law and for them, state law Mm -hmm. made more sense As a tribe, we were looking at the ICWA law and how it pertained to Indian children. So when we had our meetings, at one point, uh, they were asking us to do things that were totally against the the ICWA guidelines and the ICWA law. And at one point, we had to walk out of the room to discuss something before we could go on discussing with them, the other issue um, every time we brought something up, we would get the response, oh, that's a, that's a union issue. We don't know if we can do that because the union, when we're asking for training for the caseworkers in equal law, it's a union issue. And I sat there and I'm thinking, who supersedes here, the federal government or the union? I mean, these people need to know the laws. Right, federal laws as well as state laws, particularly the federal law when you're working with Indian tribes. So yesterday they were at the training. And interestingly enough, the attorney who who kept challenging us on what we wanted in our compact was there. And he said, boy, I'm glad I came here today because you know what, I've learned a lot. It's really opened my eyes, yay. So (laughs) now maybe they'll, you know, get serious with the compact and work with us.
1: Well, how important has that been to establish really for both sides here an understanding of not only what ICWA is, but the role it plays and, and, and the really the power that it has, where it sounds like one counterpart the state looks at it as either either just guidance or something outside their realm as they're dealing with state laws. Meanwhile, the tribe has prioritized equal rightfully so. So how important was it not just to, to to you know say, hey, here are our processes and here's what we do versus here's what, what you do? But actually, establishing, you know, how these are prioritized or what supersedes what. How much of this was just education?
3: Well, I think a lot of it needs to be education. But if you're if you're unwilling to be educated, then it means nothing. You see, the state of Massachusetts only had one other uh, recognized tribe, and that was the Aquinnah tribe, Aquinnah Wampanoag. They're over on the island but they signed away half their rights. So they had the state take care of all their ICWA cases. Well, the Mashpee Wampanoag tribe didn't sign anything away, you know? So we want our rights. We want our children, you know, we want to make sure that our children are being uh, looked at under federal law, the ICWA law. They're being protected. We've had problems with the state as far as our children go. Um, I worked briefly for the ICWA department. I'm a licensed social worker. So I consulted with the ICWA department some years ago and what I saw the state workers doing with our people um, and how they treated them was because they didn't know the law was horrendous. It, and I knew it stemmed from ignorance because they weren't being trained. Why? Because Massachusetts never had to deal with it before, really. You know, I think they were probably taking the Aquina kids and running them through the state guidelines, uh, whereas with Mashpee, that that wasn't good for us. You know, federal law is federal law, and the Aquina kids should have been treated under ICWA you know.
1: So in your mind, what does a successful relationship between the tribe and the state require?
3: Once The compact, you know, because the compact says to them, hey, we really do have a right to intervene with our kids. And this is our right with the equal law. This is what we want from the state as a sovereign nation, nation to nation, or state to nation. You know, this is This is what we need. This is what we want to keep our children here, to keep our children tribal, and to make sure all their needs are met. That's what we want. And when the state, um, which I think they're coming around, however, they drag their feet. This compact's been going on for a long time. Um, I think when they finally come to the point where they're willing to sit down with us right now, the compact's in their court. They're looking at it. You know, they need to look at it and come back to us. You know, I think as Indian tribes, we're kind of the last priority. We're really not that important, but um, we don't see it that way.
1: (laughs) So as you can hear, overcoming these structural barriers can be time-consuming and frustrating. But as we mentioned at the top of the episode, collaboration, partnership, and and developing a shared understanding are vital to improving the outcomes of the children and families served. My thanks to Vivian Boussier from the Mashpee Wampanoag tribe and Stephanie Papishill from the Ponca tribe of Nebraska for being willing to have, frankly, a frank and open discussion, which is what we found across the board from all of the Tribal Court Improvement Program grantees. More on this series to come, including episodes we've already launched and about how some tribal courts are building their capacity to handle and hear child welfare cases. You can also take a listen, and, and this is really for anyone who has to update policies or procedures of any form, you can listen to what some tribal judges did to review and update their court's children's code. We've also got more coming with our uh, Tribal Courts and Child Welfare series, including how tribal courts specifically have worked to become more family-centered. All of the episodes of the Child Welfare Information Gateway podcast series are available at the Children's Bureau's website at acf.hhs.gov cb. Just search podcasts. Now, for those both within and those who work with tribal families, hey, go check out the Tribal Information Exchange. It is part of the Child Welfare Capacity Building Center for Tribes. There's a a tribal ICWA peer-to-peer group, along with tools and information to help tribal child welfare agencies adjust to Title IV-E and grow their programs to better serve children and families. There is also a full resource library available. So we'll have a link to the Tribal Information Exchange on this episode's webpage, uh, which is also gonna be on the Children's Bureau's site. So, hey, thank you so much for all the work you do. Uh, We know it's exhausting at times, but also can be so rewarding. And I thank you for spending some of your valuable time with us here on the Child Welfare Information Gateway podcast. You can find us in a full slate of peer-reviewed resources and publications on child welfare, a database of state statutes related to child welfare, child abuse prevention, foster care, and adoption. You'll find the most recent data and contact information, all on Child Welfare Information Gateway. That's over at www. Childwelfare.gov. But for now, I'm Tom Oates. Thanks for listening.
0: Thanks for joining us for this edition of the Child Welfare Information Gateway podcast. Child Welfare Information Gateway is available at Childwelfare.gov and is a service of the Children's Bureau, U.S. Department of Health and Human Services Administration for Children and Families. Views and opinions expressed on this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of Information
3: Gateway or the Children's Bureau.